Alright, hello and welcome to Everyone Hates You, a podcast with me, Michelle Shaughnessy, where we talk about failures and rejections, two of my favorite things that I'm getting far too used to. Today in studio, we have a comedian, an actress, and a great friend, Tiff Stevenson. Hi. Yay. Hello. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, you are welcome. Thanks for the lovely, I like that you've set dressed this. I know. I didn't want it to look like everybody else's podcast, so I, yeah. I'm doing what I can. I think eventually I'm going to have to change it up and maybe get Get something that's not just fake flowers, but I like the the tulips though. Fake tulips. If yeah. it makes me feel springy. Yeah, me too. Sounds- so listen, uh I've been doing this pod for a little bit. This is I think gonna be episode 13 or 14. And the one thing, the feedback that I got right out of the gate was that uh, people want to hear about the failures and rejections right away. They want to get into the nitty-gritty. <laughs> so uh, do you have any specific failures and rejections that are standing out? They can be personal, professional, acting, comedy, or just anything that you felt rejected by. Relationship. No, I don't feel rejected by relationships, actually. I'm, I've been very lucky there. Um but uh, God, yeah, I feel like a failure every day. To Me be too. Honest. I feel like you know, I we're in a world of like constant comparison, and it's very hard not to feel like, unless you're doing what everyone else is doing, it's to, hard to like hold your own space. I suppose like rejection, what acting wise, you know, like you audition for so many things, and I think it's easier it's easier now than it ever was to to feel rejection with self taping. Yeah. You know, you do self-tapes. You are you essentially have to be your own director, your own lighting person, your own wardrobe, your own sound. Mm-hmm. Um and then you send it off and you're like, am I just flinging shit at a wall? I don't even know if anyone's going to see this. So I'm like an in the room person, like get me in the room, you'll love me. Hey, mm-hmm. I'm great. I'm good company. I'm a vibe. I'm going to say it, Michelle, I'm a vibe. You are a vibe. <laughs> you are a vibe. But, but, you know, like, if I just fling out this tape, like, I did tapes for, you know, I did a few. Oh, here's one that that that, that sort of comes to mind. Um, for the Wednesday, the Wednesday yep. Adams Netflix show, that I was on holiday up in Scotland. It was just sort of coming out of the pandemic, maybe, when I did this. Or I'd gone up for a few days and we were supposed to, like, most definitely be on a holiday. And I got this tape through. And um, and then I had to do it all with my accent and then all in American. Mm-hmm. And then I just didn't hear anything. And then when the show came out, I was like, um, uh, she was played by, what's her, uh, the character that I went up for was played by Christina... The original Wednesday Adams, Christina oh, Ricci. Ricci. Oh, and I was like, Why are we, I was never. Th- no. so now I've now I've been rejected for a yeah. thing that I was never going to get. Yeah, like this is the original Wednesday. Of course, she should be playing the teacher. Oh yeah, that I auditioned for. I've had auditions like that where it's like looking for, and they'll name like a, a famous actress looking for a Tiffany Haddish type or this type, and then that person has the role, and I'm like, what? What were you? <laughs> whose time were you wasting here? You know. So that was, but that was because it took me, and I got into a row with my now husband about it. Uh, but like we, like he was helping me film it because um, he's a director. We share that in We're common. both married directors. Both and- married, di- bossy, directoral men. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so so he was, uh, the light wasn't quite right. So we're moving one room to the end. It ended up like eating into a day. And I was like, well, I hope at least I get, I hear something mm-hmm. <laughs> back from this. And instead, so I've just, you know, you've just got like a little bit of resentment. And I do like to think on the more positive side is that a good audition isn't wasted. Or I used to think that in the old days when you were in the room, when you were going in to see people or being put on tape by a casting director, I was like, listen, a good read is not wasted because I've gone in for stuff before. Like people just do nothing. The uh, Which is a show I was in for like five series. Mm-hmm. Um, as a regular, like the first series of that, I actually auditioned for the Roche character played by Ruth Bratt. And I, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't right for it at all, but they loved what I did. And then when the second series came, they brought me back in and they said, listen, um, we want to sort of create this role, like tell us what you want to do. And they sort of had this role in mind, but we sort of created it together. So that wasn't wasted, but that was in the room. Now with the self-tape, you're like, I don't even know if, if the person that I've sent this to has watched it, has the casting director watched it, let alone has it been passed mm-hmm. up the line to a producer or a director or someone who's... Yeah, a lot of actors that. I've talked to feel the same way you do. But I got to be honest, I auditioned for 10 years straight and didn't book a thing. I didn't book anything till self-tapes came in, which makes me feel like my personality is the problem. Right, um, that's what's putting people like, off. <laughs> that, that's how I feel. Because literally, I remember I was doing an acting class and... 
the teacher was talking about, she was like, you're the only person I know who's auditioned for so much, hasn't booked anything. Like, you're like an urban legend. And I was like, great, I want to die. Um, <laughs> but then self tapes came and I started to book shit. And I was like, okay, people don't like me in person. But on a tape, I feel like I can do okay. Well, like, I think in the room... I always say something stupid. Like, it'll be great. And then I'll say something really dumb and I'll be like, I just fucked myself. So at least in a tape, I can just do the acting and keep my mouth shut and not try to make jokes. <laughs> well, I always find that making jokes kind of helps because, you know, I have that over people who are just actors sorry just actors that that I do stand up so that I can be in the room and be a bit fun I, I think that's an advantage having said that though the thing about self-tapes is that you can then totally curate it and yep. make it exactly how you want so if you have a bad take they don't get to see the bad take whereas if you're in the room and you have a bad punt at it they're all going to watch the bad punt and that's fair know, um but you know it's kind of like in a, I, f I found in America it's just like a next level of kind of like unless you're very famous or like in the awards race I think walking into rooms there for that's quite a different experience well I think what screwed me a little bit when I first started auditioning was I was in the union right away and I hadn't booked anything but I had done stand-up on tv so many times that I had to join the union because the permit fees that I was paying were ridiculous so they were like join the union so a lot of people I know got their acting legs from doing non-union stuff and I never had that opportunity so I think that really screwed me up a little bit right out of the gate because then I was going up for stuff with people who had done union projects for like 10-15 years you know right. Right. so I think that kind of screwed me a little bit so being here and kind of getting into acting here I kind of feel like it's a good opportunity for me to like be out of the union as long as I can be just to try to get those yeah, experiences. Yeah, our, our union here, you don't have to be a member of the union, um, but if you want your name, like, mm -hmm. to reserve your name, that's, you know, you've got to then be on Spotlight and then be uh, equity also has personal liability insurance, which is quite good. When did you book your first acting thing? Oh, my first acting job was, I, I used to go to this uh, kids acting class, like, which had like lots of tearaway teenagers in it with <laughs> attitude problems, <laughs> which I was one of. So, um, and the first thing I booked, it was either a crime watch reconstruction. Oh, I love that. Uh, or it was a boots commercial. I think the crime watch was first. Love so, it. Like I did like, we had to go to, <laughs> we had to go to South End and do... Oh, it's really like quite scary. This guy had been attacking women and I'm out for a night with my boyfriend in South End. We have an argument. So I walk off down like an <laughs> underpass and then this guy jumps on me and then we all have a fight. But no one on the shoot knew how to do any fight direction. <laughs> so we were just scrabbling, make it scrabbling, up scrabbling around, hurting each other in a subway in um you know in so that was probably non-union then because they probably wouldn't allow that if it was um, union would they well i think they're all i think they're all equity i think a lot of them do like an equity minimum contract mm -hmm. um i think you with equity i think you don't need credits to sign up i think you can join the union okay it's so very very different how our unions work here to america yeah. they have much more um bartering power and stuff in america like the WGA and um, SAG and stuff like that. It's just a different thing. So that but that was, I just auditioned for that. And then I got a Boots commercial. And then that was my first taste of like, oh, like these pay quite well. Um, and also like, again, like a rejection that became like a quite a nice thing was I auditioned for a series part in The Office, mm -hmm. which was which the part I auditioned for was a character called Donna and Sally Breton got it. And then in my 20s, I genuinely thought at one point, why does Sally Breton hate me? Because we constantly went up for the same jobs and I would never get them. <laughs> I would never get them. And I was like, why? Not why does she hate me? But like, I remember like a few times I would get like consolation and then I would turn up and see who booked the regular. Mm -hmm. And it was always her. <laughs> why, Sally? Why? <laughs> um, I don't even think we're massively similar. But the office was the the first one, so I auditioned for a series part in that, and I read the scripts, and I was like, "So this is original UK office, right?" Before it had become a thing, like no one knew what it was going to be, and so I auditioned for this character. I didn't get it, and then they came back and they were like, "Would Tiff fancy coming in doing this one episode?" Um, this part, and it's like Chasers Nightclub and stuff like that. They go out to a nightclub and. You know, my scenes were with like Ricky and Ralph Innocent, who's now doing like Hollywood movies and stuff, who plays Finchie. So amazing. Um, and my agent was like, darling, like to cut a couple of early doors things that she did that were like really so rude. She was like, because I had a double barreled surname. She was like, darling, this makes you sound posh and you're not posh, are you? 
I mean, you're as far from posh as it's possible to be. So drop that. Um, and also, um, I wouldn't take this part. You know, you take a small part, just going to be this small parts actress. And is that... Seems like bad you, advice. Yeah. For is that a new the kind actor? Of, is that the kind of career you want? Do you want to just be this small parts actress? Because I think they were hoping to land me like a series role on Hollyoaks, which mm-hmm. is... Oh, know. my God. <laughs> my dream is to be on Hollyoaks, okay? Like, I'm obsessed with that show and that genre of show here. Like, that is my dream is to be on a show like that in the UK. Okay, get Michelle an audition for I'm trying. Else. I'm desperately trying. There's even, like, times my agents tried to, like, kind of be like, okay, I know they don't want someone with an American accent, but let's maybe just try, you know? Like, so I've tried to, like, fool my way into getting on a show like that for a couple years. <laughs> yeah, so she was like, don't take this. It's small, and you'll just be this small parts actress. And actually, there's this thing on IMDb now called There's No Small Parts, which just shows, you know, actors' career trajectories and showing how everyone is, you know. Like, I th- there's one of these things where I think, as an actor, you make a choice. You either want to work or you don't want to work. Well, there's people that have made so, millions and millions just doing small parts, you know? Those people that you see and you're like oh I know them I don't know how but I know them because they're in everything is like a little bit part yes yeah yeah do you want to work or do you not want to work do you Mm want to be an actor who works or do you want to be an actor that goes well darling it's just about leads and that's all I'm ever going to do so unless I'm and then you're a waitress yeah yeah. Yeah, you're a waitress and maybe you might get a call from the RSC um but but I feel like so I was like yeah but the script's really funny and I like it Mm -hmm. like so I'm gonna do it and uh and yeah, so then, so then that was that. So I went and did that. And then there was this sort of weird thing where they tried to like insert a sex scene on the day. And I don't know where I had like the, like, I don't know, not moral fortitude, but like on the day I was like, oh no, I'm not doing that. That's not in the script. And then they literally just went and asked the next actress. So I was like, yeah, like, if well, you're going to justify yeah, they Paid you more for something like that too, right? Like you accepted an offer based on... Yeah, yeah. So, But they ended up doing that scene in the second series and in a completely different context. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it was like... So I just did that and it was such a small thing. And then I got residual checks mm. from the office. But if I'd have said no to that, I mean, I got rejected. So out of a rejection came a thing that was like, that is... Just now, people are like, oh, my God, you're in Chaser. Oh, my God, you're snogging Finchie. Like, That's great. You know, so I still, and I'm, I'm, I'm 20, I'm teeny, I'm tiny, you know, when I did that. But, yeah, but it's it's there forever. And I got, I just got these checks through the, the mail, like um, residual checks. Do you I'm still like, get residual checks from it? I still do get the odd one. It's all changed now, and it's gone to shit a bit in terms mm-hmm. of all of that sort of stuff, um, as many people will attest to. And there's been a whole strike about that and how all of that works because a lot of it is buyouts and stuff now. But that was every time it was sold around the world or shown on a channel elsewhere, I would get paid. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I just had the smallest part in it. Um, you know, and because I was in that, I got to be in People Just Do Nothing. So actually out of this one rejection of not doing that, like five or six things came along. That's great. Which I know this is not supposed to be the point of the podcast. That's right. I'm supposed to wallow in my, but but that was then you know the people the guys who make people just do nothing are huge fans of the office. So that's great. why it's called in for an audition in the first place. So just doing that tiny small thing and going against what my agent at the time said, mm-hmm. you know that. Well, that's the thing. Like out. sometimes you have to go with your gut, you know. And I feel like when I was younger in comedy and in acting, I would just listen to everything agents or producers said even if in my gut I was like, I feel like this is not the right path for me. And I think the older I've gotten, the more outspoken I've been when it comes to no, I just feel like that's not the right thing to do or the right thing to take, you know? And I feel like that definitely comes with age. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get a bit more in tune with what's right and what's wrong, you know? But it's, uh, but also when I was younger as well, those were the parts. Those were just the, a lot of the parts were just like blonde hair, big tits, stupid. (laughs) <laughs> and that's what you're going to get cast as. So at least I suppose there's a type. <laughs> the thing about stereotype is it means... You know, that's stupid. not a bad type to be. Like, there's far worse. Like, I remember when I was first started auditioning, I was very heavy. And like, some of the stuff I went out for, I don't even think they would write that stuff now. It was so offensive. Yeah, yeah. Like, it would be like, someone walks by with donuts. And I'd be like, donuts? And then like, run after like a guy carrying a tray of fucking donuts. <laughs> like, some of the stuff, like, if I they tried to make me do that now, I'd be like, what the... F-? You know, but it's just a different ballgame, right? Yeah. I don't think they would have stuff like that anymore yes yeah there's like there was um you just you just reminded me of one there and now it's like gone out of my brain 
which is which is the beautiful thing of lack of sleep and being on my period. Um, but uh, yeah, um, we're both on our period, by the way, right now. So this podcast could go in any direction. It could. And if you're watching, you are synchronizing. You're probably synchronizing. <laughs> we're going to change cycles. I've got quite a heavy. I got quite a heavy. Pull. <laughs> you do. I feel I, like my cycles change since I've been your friend. <laughs> Yeah. I have Old Testament periods. I yeah. call them Old They're fire and brimstone periods. They are not like, these are not little like, I'm so jealous of those women, those girls who get like, I have like two or three days of like light spotting and, and I'm like, I'm just like, like every bit of like water that has been like, honestly, you could like, I could be in like a Beyond Thunderdome, you know, like they could tap me. Mm-hmm. Like in the futuristic world where we run out of all the, you know, all Earth's natural resources, people will be coming to me like around about my period and just like, you know, like a maple tree, Mm -hmm. just tapping me, (laughs) just tapping me for water. Yeah. So I feel it. Um, But yes, I I feel like a lot of the stuff that got written or a lot of the stuff that I did would just not exist now. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, people sometimes are like, oh my God, you've such good work. And I was like, I don't think I audition well. I don't even think it's a conscious choice. I think... I only audition well if the material's good. Mm-hmm. I, I've kind of struggled if it's up bad. That's stuff. why I actually prefer to audition for serious stuff. Like I took anything to do with comedy off my spotlight because I found that I was only getting called out for comedy stuff. And I personally find, for me, I act better when it has nothing to do with comedy. I'm also very judgy of the material when it is comedy. Yeah, because you're like, mm, I think it'd be funnier if I said this, and they do not want that. You they know? don't want it. They, they do not want, want actors with opinions. <laughs> Please don't bring your. I think it would be funnier if in it. Exactly. Although I, I have been, I've been on jobs where I did that. The film I just did was like, we want you to bring that. Mm-hmm. Like, if you think that you can, if it's funnier to do this or this, you know, then bring it in. Whether that makes the edit is a different, you know. Yeah, that's a good point. A but it's good piece. to have a director that'll let you play around like that, right? Yes. Yeah. Whereas I find like when it comes to stuff like commercials and stuff, they don't. How do you find working with your husband? <laughs> um. It's okay. It's tough. So I am pretty mean to him when it comes to self-tapes. And I shouldn't be because he probably does know best. But we definitely have some funny self-tapes on tape of me just being such a dick to him. (laughs) But I've done stuff that he's directed. And he's kind of had to be like, you can't talk to me on set the way you talk to me. Because there's been a few times, like, he always says this one direction, and I don't understand it. I'm convinced nobody understands it. And just says, okay. He's always like, throw it away. For this take, just throw it away. And there's been times where I was like, none of us know what that means. Can you be like, I just, and he's like, you you, you can't talk to me. I think it might just mean make it, like, inconsequential. Deliver it in a way. That I don't even know like, what that word means, Tiff. Like, come on. <laughs> it means, like, on your way out the door. I, I, it's, it's that throw it away means, like, I'm saying it, but I'm not putting anything, any emphasis behind it is what I would take from it. Yeah, I just but, think everyone's like, yeah, okay, and nobody knows what nope. the fuck he's talking about. But So we haven't worked together in a while. Like, the last thing I auditioned for that he directed, I didn't get, and that was not good for us. So, and it, <laughs> th- what, what annoyed me about it is they said they didn't have the budget for known names. And right. then the part went to a known name who didn't even have to audition for it so I was like you've wasted my time yes but it was for a girl with a dog and they used my dog my right. chihuahua and they didn't use me so I haven't watched <laughs> that's it a, yet. that's a rejection yeah so I haven't watched your it. your pet yet. is good enough yeah, exactly um. so I haven't watched it yet because I'm like it's my dog so that was a bit of a bone of contention between us it was just tough for the relationship I think because he felt so bad that I didn't get it but it's not his fault you know right. like he doesn't have the final say at the end of the day it's people with the money that have the final say I, I I will butt heads. Actually, not for him directing me so much with acting, but when he's directing my stand-up shows because that, I write them. And, and so yeah. then I'll fight for jokes a little bit. You should. And, it's and, personal. And, like, uh, 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 and I'm like, stop. This is my baby and you're smashing its mm. head on a rock. Like, I don't know if it's like... That was a really horrible... <laughs> that was a really horrible metaphor. But I was thinking like in biblical terms, I guess. I'm back. I'm, I'm in the Old Testament. Uh, but, but I feel like, yeah, I feel like I'll fight for things. But then sometimes I have to go, am I fighting for them just because I'm fighting f- because they're good? Or am I fighting for them because we? I want to... F- Look, disagree. anyone's advice that I've taken in stand-up on my material that who wasn't a stand-up has been wrong. Right. That's my one thing. I won't yeah. do that anymore. Like, I once had an agent say, hey, I know what you should say. It'd be really funny. And they gave me a line to say. And I was like, okay. And then I said it and it fucking, I fucking died on my ass. And the rest <laughs> of the set went awful. And I was like, why would I listen to somebody that's not a comic when it comes to that? 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I do think when it comes to comedy, you kind of just got to go with your own gut because at the same time, comedy is just so personal. Yes. You know, like yeah. I find rejections in comedy a lot harder to deal with than acting rejections. Well, I suppose acting, it feels less personal. Well, because you're just not right for the part and you can see it and be like, oh, I wasn't right for the part. But with comedy, because you're yourself. You are the part. <laughs> exactly. So I feel like when I get rejected for comedy, it feels like they hate me. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is why when I started doing comedy, I started doing a character because I was like, did you? Like it. Yeah. You've never told me that. Yeah. What was your character? Uh, Savannah Dior, Media Hall. Oh, I love that. Um, And she was like, oh my God, she was like a wag. She was like a footballer's wife. I love it. Um, like, And it she she had an autobiography. Oh my God, I can tell you about the worst gig I ever did. Right. So she had an autobiography called uh, Come Inside Myself. <laughs> and... <laughs> And what I would do is I would go like talk about famous people that I'd slept with mm-hmm. in the book. So it was it would be stuff like as George Clooney climbed off me and threw the condom in the bin, he said, never contact me again. So stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So it would be like so it was just this silly, you know, um, and I once got booked to do Alexander's Jazz Club in Chester. I don't know if it's still there. Like it actually gives me I feel a little bit sick remembering this. So I'd been doing, what happened was I'd been doing stand-up about uh, six, nine months at this point. Mm-hmm. And I'd got a lot of gigs because people knew me as an actor. So I sort of got in that way and managed to get up in some rooms and stuff before the first ever straight five minutes of stand-up I did at my, by myself was at Old Rope. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Jason Rouse was there, you know, Jason. Yeah. And Jason was like, that was fucking great. And he didn't go, I'm joking, at the end, which he used to do quite a lot. Um, and so he was like, that was really brilliant. You should, you know, and I, then then I just moved on to, you know, thanks, Jason Rouse. Uh, so and then I just moved on to just doing stand-up as myself. But this, so I got booked to do Alexandra's Jazz Club in Chester. And I got booked to be, I think it was a middle spot. And I think at the time it was like, it seemed like crazy money, but it was like 120 pounds or something or 150 quid maybe. That sounds like on par with today, if you want to yeah. know how little the comedy prices yeah, have moved got, up with it's, inflation. It's yeah. not at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was driving to the show and I had um, got stuck on the M6. There'd mm-hmm. been like a massive accident. So I'd left with like, I'd actually, it's a rare time, I'd left with lots of time to get there. I got stuck on the M6. So I ended up arriving late. So they had to swap me with the headliner. Mm. So you're talking about like circuit club guys who've been going for years. Um, and uh, I arrived and they they made basically just made the audience sit there and wait for me. So like, the audience was already pissed. The yeah. audience were like raging by the time I got up there. And I got up on stage and I immediately just got kind of got trapped in this because I created this character that was like self-obsessed and a bit of an idiot, but I did, I didn't have the chops to, so I can't box my way out of it as if it's me, mm-hmm. you know, where I'm using all my resources. I'm trying to think like the character you put yourself, I think Ritual once described it as like, if you, if you put yourself in a character jail or some kind, you know, like a, you know, like this kind of box that I can't get out of. Mm-hmm. And they just started heckling me and I'm trying to like come back to the, and it was so horrific And I was supposed to do 20 minutes and I think I did like about 13 or 15. And then they were like, you have to go to the bar to get paid. So they made me go to the bar to get paid. And then this guy come over, this Scouse guy was like, you were a bit shit love. I tell you what, this is what you need to do. And started telling me about the act and telling me what, and I was like, please, will someone come over and just pay me so I can leave? Like, because I come off the stage and I was like, choking back my tears it was so horrific and they did pay me but I had another one once where they tried not to pay me uh after I'd had a good gig um because the circuit here used to be it used to be quite gross Mm -hmm. I think for like a lot of the behavior of just like not even you know there was like harassment that kind of stuff but just how shit some of the people who ran these gigs were to women just how mm-hmm. poorly you'd be spoken to. Like, do you think you deserve I think money? it's still a little bit like that, but it is better. But like, I do think, because I think I was telling you about an issue I had with the club recently and the message that that guy sent me. Yes. And I've heard from so many women that he's spoken to them in the same way. Right. I've yet to find a man that he's spoken to in that way. Wow. So oh, that's how okay. I feel. I do think yeah. it's easier for a man to speak down to a woman than it is to a man. Yeah. So I just had to sort of stand at the bar while this fucking non-comedy person 
was like telling me how I should do comedy. And then, yeah. And so coming back from that, I can't even remember how I came back from that, but it was probably not that long after that, that I went, oh, I just have to do stand up as mm. myself because I can't mm-hmm. get trapped in that situation again, you know? Um, and the annoying thing was he was, it's one, it's one thing to have someone come to you at the bar afterwards and go, you should have done this. You should have done that when you've had a good gig or you've got chops mm-hmm. and you go, I know what I should be doing and should, you know, but especially when you're new, but, but when you're new, you're like, but he's not wrong. I mean, I, it was shit and I did die. So yeah. like, I've, like, I've got nothing to come back with. I've just got to stand here and have this man like talk at me. So uh, that was horrific. Yeah. So that was, so that was, I started doing that. That was how I, because I was already acting. So it just felt an easier way to get, it felt like less rejection. It felt like they don't like this. And that's probably how I was able to walk away from what happened in Chester. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, well, they just didn't like the character that I was playing on stage. They didn't hate Tiff. They didn't hate Tiff. They hated Savannah. Fair. And that's okay. Um, But yeah, then then I decided that it's going to be all me and my opinions. Do you find it hard to like deal with not getting stuff now as a comedian? Or do you find it's gotten easier? For me, it's like, you'd think it would get easier. I think it's easier for me mentally because I could be like, you know, there's a lot of great people that don't get stuff, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, it also, I think is harder when you know that you're a good comic as opposed to when you are newer. You know what I mean? Yes. Because then you see new people get stuff that you're not getting as an experienced comic and it makes yeah. you feel like, what have I been, have I been wasting in the past two decades of my life? Yeah. It's a, I think it's a realization of, and I think it's a, a great thing about how the industry has changed in that these gatekeepers and these people who hold the positions to put you in certain things, they're just not as powerful anymore. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it used to, it, there's always been the case that there'll be people who are fantastic and they're not getting booked on things, but they're smashing it in rooms and they're doing really well mm-hmm. and it's going great for them. Um, but they're not what TV is looking for. TV is obsessed with youth, you know, even though it's watched by mainly people who are over 40. Yeah, it, doesn't, know, it, so it confuses it is, me in that regard. It, 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 it's, but it's always been, I remember pitching a sitcom once to Comedy Central and what they said to me was at the time they were like, oh, yeah, the thing is like the demographic of this channel is like we scoot like for, you know, they're thinking of advertiser or, or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're like, this channel is like 16 to 30 year old males. And we just don't think this all. And I was like, what the channel that's showing the sex and the city reruns and inside mm-hmm. Amy Schumer, that's who you like, what are you mm-hmm. talking about? So they have in their mind, like demographics, advertising, all, all of this kind of stuff. Um, and it's not our business to get involved because, because to start to think about, you know, yeah, I guess it's not our business. Our our business is just to make it as good as we can. And that within that, I think it's hard though, too, when you do that and then you realize sometimes that that's not what matters, you know, right? because I think for me is it's, you know, and you know this too, like it's all followers right now. It's all like, what, what's your social media presence? And I think I understand because it makes the job easier for them if you have a built-in audience that kind of goes along with you. Sure, sure. And I, and I get that as well. You know, I, I can get, because I, I feel like I've had a whole career. I've got a whole career. I've done so much stuff mm-hmm. and not just, you know, uh, not just stand up, but from the acting side as well, mm-hmm. from writing, you know. Um, and you go, oh, I could be like, here I am with my whole career and then someone who just fired some shit up on TikTok. I know. <laughs> and it's maybe not even great stuff, you know, like a lot of the crowd work clips that kind of There's too many there. crowd work clips. Can we like, like but but like too stuff, many crowd work clips of right stuff now. that's real basic that's not great. Well there's some clubs in the know. States that have started banning crowd work unless you're the MC. Because right. everybody's just doing spots trying to get those clips and they're like the audience does not want to be talked to by seven comedians in a row. So I've yes. seen some posts like that being yeah. like no crowd work unless you're hosting because you know, especially if you're not going to watch the beginning of the show, you're going to yeah. go up and talk to people and they're going to be like, we've answered this question seven fucking times. You yes. know? Yeah. So I do think crowd work clips are great, but I do think people should maybe be a little more selective with ones that they're choosing to post because some of them just aren't that funny. Yes. Yes. Well, especially if there's stuff that you go, this has been around for years. You mm-hmm. know, if you're doing the, I don't come to your work and not the cock out, you might, all of those like kind of, you know, those yeah. stock put downs or like you in show business, get your feet off my stage. Mm-hmm. These are like... They're not yours. They're like showbiz, you know, you, I'm sure you can use them, but don't put that out if you're yeah, exactly. going, look at my brilliant work here that I just came up with because you didn't. So, so that, you know, so, so I sort of get that. I can have, a, I can be like, I've got a whole career and I go, oh, that, that person's got like half a million followers on mm-hmm. 
on um, YouTube. There was someone the other day, an American comic selling tickets in London. I was like, oh, they're doing a 2000 seat. How? Like, does anyone here know them? And then I went and looked on. I was like, they've got 2 million on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I don't know when that happened, but also in a way it's quite exciting. It's quite exciting. It's disruptive. And that's... Um, I do like that aspect of it. I do like it's kind of giving the power back to the people. And I do admit I am lazy with clips and stuff, which is why I started this podcast so I had stuff to post. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I, I should be posting more on socials. And I just... I don't have the energy. Sometimes it's, it's a full-time job. I, it, is, it is. Sometimes I, I, I feel like, you know, um, Ken and Barbie, was like, my job is clip. Like it's just like yeah. posting like constantly posting feeding the algorithm it's like having it's a child have you fed have you have you breastfed the algorithm mm -hmm. today have you given it milk is mm -hmm. it okay you know it's like having another kid um so another kid well i've got a stepson so he's 17 so he's not a kid anymore but yeah i, I feel like um it is a job that is a job in itself but it's what it's become and it, you can tell because there are like legacy comics who are doing it when i saw about three years ago I was like, Doug Stanhope's posting reels. Mm -hmm. And I love Doug Stanhope, right? I really love Doug Stanhope. So I'm like, oh, he's can see where it's got People can see where it's going. And I suppose they've always been those kind of slightly, you know, like Doug wouldn't say he's a mainstream TV comic, mm -hmm. for example. But, you know, I mean, I mean, there's so much stuff that even now with TV most TV shows that are being made are desperate to get all the behind the scenes content or stuff that they can clip up for social mm -hmm. media. Because no one cares about what's going on that bit. Mm -hmm. All people are watching are the bits that go up on YouTube, that go on TikTok and Instagram of that. So do you find it like, and obviously this is a bit of a loaded question, so we can cut this out if you don't want to talk about it. But do you find, is there anything that you haven't booked that makes you bitter? Or are you good at like getting over it and being like that specific thing just isn't for me? Or do you still keep trying for those things? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um there's stuff that I haven't done. People just assume I've done everything anyway. Mm -hmm. So people assume that I've done lots of things that I haven't done. Um, but I think if I took the rejection, like if I let them set in my head what makes me good and what makes me different and make, what makes me stand apart, and I really took that on. And by the way, like it, this is like with critics and everything in Edinburgh, like, you know, I've not been nominated for an Edinburgh Comedy Award, for example, and mm -hmm. I've had shows on years that I think, but that's also like a mad, that's also a mad thing to kind of chase, to kind of go, there's 3,000 shows, and why do you think you're going to be the one that gets, mm -hmm. and have you seen every other show, and have you seen the ones that have got nominated? You know, there's definitely been years where I'm like, oh, that, you know, or a year where all the judges came in on a weekend before, you know, and you ride on this little hope horse, and go, oh, well, if I do that, that will change everything for me. I get that. And it doesn't really. It doesn't because there's people who've been nominated, people who've won it, and it hasn't changed. I think maybe 10, 15 years ago, if you got that, that was a real, but how the festival worked and everything else was very, very different then. So I, for sure, I've had shows where I've gone, oh, I've got loads of five-star reviews and this has gone really well. And then I feel like the right journalist hasn't seen it mm -hmm. for it to be considered or the right person, and that's when you're like, oh, do people hate me? That's where you go. Do people hate me? Am I, mm -hmm. am I disliked? Am I, why am I not, why can't you see me? You know, so I've definitely had that. I've definitely had that in Edinburgh's. And then I think probably going back to, um, probably going back about three years or four years when I, four years ago, maybe. I'm trying to think. I did 2021 when I did, was that when I did Mother? Might have been when I took a mother I took to like my show about being a stepmom I took to like America, mm -hmm. you know, and it did really, really well. And I just I sort of thought that might oh, like no one's doing stuff about being a stepmom and this is this has got a shot or whatever. And then I think when that didn't, and I'd had ones before, you know, for, for sure. I was the stand one year with my show Mad Men. And I think I've had a very unlucky day where at the time, Paul said to me afterwards, oh, there were a bunch of judges in. I had someone heckling and disrupting. Not heckling, talking, which is kind of harder to deal with. Like if someone shouts out, you can kind of break the show. But when it's just someone constantly talking, you know, so I've definitely, I've had my years. And I think when Mad, Mad Men, Mad Man, Mad Men, Mad Man, I did that show. I also did um, Montreal that year. Mm -hmm. And I just sort of thought, you know, there were conversations where like, well, if not this year, when, you, you know, this is a really great show, you'll get a nod. Just didn't happen. Um, but again, it's a madness because 
people do do stuff like this is the best show and you go I can't say that's the best show or mine's the best show because I haven't seen all the shows so I don't know and that's when it feels like then you get into like your it's unfair isn't it because this person had like all the press and interviews and all the people who eventually went on to be judges like talking about their show before the fringe I'm definitely getting better at not being I think a lot of newer comics, and when I say newer, I mean like under 10 years in. Yeah. Um, are very negative to be around when it comes to what they're not getting that they feel they should get. And I think, you know, I, I, I know both of us have moments where we feel like, oh, fuck, we, why didn't we get that? That's just yeah. normal. Yeah. But I do, I find it very exhausting to be around comics who haven't realized yet that just because somebody doesn't kill in the clubs doesn't mean they're not a good TV comic or a good corporate comic or a good one-person show comic. And I find it very exhausting to be around comics who are constantly talking about how awful someone is but how they're getting stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And I think there's nothing you can say to those comics other than let them grow out of it. And the ones that don't grow out of it just become bitter old fucks and they'll disappear anyway. But I do think all of us, I I think good comics grow out of that phase, but I do think we all have that phase. And it always comes in generally, in my opinion, about the five or six year mark where you're killing in the clubs with your dick jokes and you're thinking, I'm killing every night. Why aren't I getting things? But if you actually take a step back and watch the comics who are on TV or who do have great Edinburgh shows, you realize, oh, okay, this isn't the material that is getting them that stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think when I first started, I definitely didn't have much of an entitlement about what... When I did my first Edinburgh, I didn't even know about the awards. Mm-hmm. That's how... I didn't even know about the Fringe. I till, didn't... I like, went in completely blindly my first till, year. Till like, my only year I've done I did... It. The first year I did it was 2006 and I did a play. I did talk radio. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know the Fringe existed. Mm. You know, so I was like, oh, like this arts festival and like people go and they take stand up and like, I did just didn't know anything about it. And then when I did my first show, um, my first hour show, I, I just had no idea. So I had no expectation. It was just about doing an hour and getting better. And, you know, but like it it would be, it would be untrue to say there hasn't been years where that's been like my, you know, and then actually what you can do is remove yourself from it, which is what I did last year. I just went, Oh yeah, I'll just do a work in progress. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, and I sold that off my social media. Pretty yeah, much. I'm definitely having weird thoughts because I am doing the full run this year. And I definitely, part of me is like, why am I doing this? Like, I should just pull it, not do this. But I do feel like for me, I just need a, a do-over. Because like I said, I didn't go with my gut. First year. The first year. And I, yeah. I want to kind of do that and do it a little smaller, a little more lower expectations. Yeah. And just come, my goal is to just come out of it with a great hour show that I can tour as opposed to like come out of it with like booking TV and getting awards and selling, you know what I mean? So I think I'm going into it with a bit more of realistic expectations than I did in 2022. Um, But it is tough. I mean, I definitely have those. I'm definitely already having anxiety about reviews and stuff because I I don't like that aspect of it. Right. Um, And I don't, if I could just do a full run and not have reviewers, that would be ideal, but that's just not allowed or it's not the way it's done you know yeah well I, f- I feel like um what's what's really interesting is that any reviewer thinks they could hurt me and I say this for me but there's probably a lot of comics that feel like this well I mean Jay the Scotsman hurt me. hurt me when he called me middle-aged so that was um <laughs> he said a lot of nice things until the middle-aged part and that will haunt me forever Jay Richardson so that hurt me more than any other because any other thing you could be like no that's subjective they didn't find me funny fine but middle age I really I spent a lot of money on Botox since then so Scotsman owes me I'm for that. so unbothered by the middle age thing <laughs> I I'm, am so, not look you're, you're born there's the middle and then you die so the middle is the great bit everyone's in the middle I think middle aged is fine it's not but old. why there was it's no point old. of it there was I didn't talk about that in my show there was nothing that they, they did they, I yeah, I, I will. Fair. Well, I will say is is that probably not happening to male comics if you don't talk about it because I talk about middle age things in my show or that I, I need to be don't. Middle-aged. And the worst part is I lied about my age on stage, and that was still middle age. So I'll get over it. I'm sure he's a nice guy. He did call it a winning debut, but middle age. Come on, that 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 cut really fucking deep. So it is. I mean, like I would say, like middle age has changed now as well. By the way, well, I say middle age is middle age is from about thirty five probably till about that's what middle age technically is but I do think 55. people don't when they think of middle age they think 50 do you know what I mean yeah which come on you're I not living to be 100 do. I don't think anyone well I know men in their 50s who are like a middle age I'm like alright I'll see you when you're 104 <laughs> then you know 
So I think it's different, but that uh, that probably cut me a little more than I just I think there's not like you can try and be hurtful, but you're never going to say anything meaner to me than what my own brain has said to me. I I'm agree. I'm the same I'm, way. Yeah. I, yeah. I, you know, I'm so full of like some days and it depends where I am. And I still have this all the time where like the other day I got in the car with Paul and he was like, you're right. I was like, I'm just trying to dial down the self-loathing to a dull roar. Because okay. some days that for me is like, you know, um, and it could be, you know, just like, like you say, so the thing of like in your head kind of going, you know, I'm a piece of shit or if you didn't get an, an audition or you didn't get a thing and you go, oh, I didn't even want that. Like I auditioned for a thing recently and I didn't even want it and I didn't get it and I didn't hear anything. I'm like, just like that. But that's not also it. That's also just all of it, like all the time, I think getting older is harder. Mm -hmm. That's really, really difficult process to go through. I think it's harder and, for a woman. And to see yourself, I think there's a great thing about Ellen Pompo in Grey's Anatomy, kind of mm -hmm. going, watching herself age on screen mm -hmm. and then kind of going, oh, are there just not as many things around, like opportunity, like, you, you know, you, you, I think you just see a difference and then you go, oh, yeah, you're back to like creating your own stuff all over again. And that feels, for me, that feels like one of the things. What I feel like sometimes is, I've bought this shell of a car, right? It's on fucking bricks. So I've taken the car off the bricks. I've put the wheels on it. I've kicked the shit out of the tires, right? I've given it a paint job. I've got in the car. I've sat in the driver's seat. I've started the car. And then that's when someone jumps in and goes, where are we going? Mm. Whether that be a producer, whether that be someone who's booking a show, whether that be a manager, and whoever it is, but it's once you've got the car warm and it started. And I'm like, for once, I'd just like someone to turn up with the car already running, going hopping. Yeah. Like, that'd to be nice. for, for something to come like easily. And I'm, sh it, and there have been times where it has. And I'm sure I'm forgetting, but I feel like we're in a job, definitely with stand up, but definitely as you get older as a woman, you are having to create so much stuff because the amount of stuff that's out there is just, mm -hmm. you know, you're not, there's not like 50 parts that you're going up for every week, mm -hmm. like when you're in your 20s. So you've got to do it. You've got to start the car again and you've got to do. And I, I remember seeing it in the Joan Rivers documentary and it was like the truest bit. She got out a diary and the diary's empty and she, like it's full, full. And then she goes to the empty pages and she goes, this is fear. This bit here is fear. Um, And then she said, you think there's a point? <laughs> you think there's a point where you go, well, I don't have to work so hard. I don't have to make it all happen. She was like, you'll get to that point. And you're like, oh, here we go. Mm -hmm. There's never that point. Mm. That does never happen. So you just got to sort of let go of the idea that somehow it all just, you're like still, that. you know, you're still there. She's still there at that point in her career. She's in her seventies here going, oh no, I still have to, you know, mm -hmm. do I want to do, do I want to do roast battle? Well, I want to be on TV, so I've got to go and do the thing that I don't want to do. Um, I've got to go do this show. I'm going to go do this charity gig so I can still be seen, still be in the mix, not be forgotten. You know, so all of those sort of things are like, you're still there. You're still going to have to, you know, it's just acknowledging. Sometimes you're like, I'd just like someone to pull up in the car. Like, like I say, there are times that that has happened, you know, um, where something has kind of not see, like, you know, something's come for you where they've gone like, oh, we would like you. Mm. But a lot of the time you're fighting to get seen in this space or get, you know, and and that I think is, I think that's, I think that's part of where the self-loathing comes from. <laughs> you know, I, like, uh, I, I get that. I get that a lot. I have a lot of self-loathing. And I, you know what? Like I consider you one of my close friends and I didn't even know that you still had those moments of self-loathing. So that's kind of nice to hear, to be honest. Yeah. Because I feel, I feel that constantly. Yeah. Constantly. So it's nice to know that people that I kind of look up to in this business feel that same way too, you know? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are, like like I say, there are times where it kind of, where I, if I'm managing it, if I'm managing my life, doing the things that I know that are work, that work and that are good for me, which, you know, I just then avoid doing, mm -hmm. like meditating like oh fuck meditation year, like literally, literally last year my brain does not shut off enough to meditate uh, no but mine just comes up with a to-do list i just take pills i just I like pills I, like if i need to relax she's I'll just gonna rattle around top of xanax for fuck's sake i um but what i i do guided ones always i do guided and even then my brain rattles around but what i found was last year 
when I was doing my show, I was doing it at lunchtime. Mm-hmm. I would get up in the morning and I would meditate just for like 20 minutes. And then when I was on stage, I was, I was like, oh, of course, I forget this really works for me. I just had access to stuff. Mm-hmm. I just had access. Like my brain had like warmed up. Mm-hmm. It was like warming up my brain. Some people do morning pages, you know, from the artist way. Just get out all the crap. So even if my meditation is like, I've got to do this, I've got to... that's gone. So then when I get up on stage and do the gig, I'm like, oh, I, now I have some kind of clarity. So there is there is where I can manage it, you know, exercise all the boring stuff that we know sort of helps. But, you know, my my tech, my, what I do then is I self-soothe. When I'm in that place, I'm just full of self-loathing and I'm watching back-to-back episodes of Sex in the City mm-hmm. or Buffy the Vampire Slayer or something that's my comfort watch. And, you know, um, and then I'm struggling to get stuff started or do stuff, you know, to go, oh, I need to finish that script. <sighs> probably, I don't know. Well, someone's interested in it and you've got a deadline to so do that. Yeah, but they're probably not going to make it. You know, like all of those sort of, you know, I have all of that, you know. So it just depends on how well I'm managing at any any it's given tough. time. It's a struggle. Know? Anything in the arts is a struggle. Um, we got to get to the end here. But um, before we plug all your fabulous things and your fun movie, which I do want to talk about at the end, uh, if you woke up tomorrow, everyone on social media was like, what did you do, Tiff? All your friends are calling you and they're like, why does everyone hate you? Is there anything in your mind that you think it would have been that turned the world against you. Yeah, you told me you were going to ask this and my response was, I feel physically sick Yeah, at the idea of waking up to lots of notifications. Um, me too. I, media <laughs> me. Um, I, I, even if it's some a reel that's done well or a thing that's mm-hmm. because it just means more eyes and more people shouting at you from either direction. Um, so um, I would say, listen, it's probably just going to be because I've just been nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> And everyone's, everyone's very jealous. jealous. That's what I think too. It's because it's too what, pretty and everyone hates me. Everyone's jealous. Everyone, I mean, look, look I'm, I'm going to talk about the snub. We want to talk about rejection. You know, Slotherhouse. Where were the, where were the awards nods for, for, for my performance in that film? Yeah, where can people watch that film? Uh, they can watch it. On, actually, it's coming out here on the 12th of February. Yes, that's so exciting. Uh, Slotherhouse. Yeah, um, it's so fun. So silly. Yeah. Like, um, and I was quoted in an interview, it's actually Jay Richardson, um, that I did about it the other day. And they, I, I said it's batshit, and that was the quote that they used. Of course, you know, there I am speaking freely. But um, yeah, there was there was a scene in the, did I tell you about this? There was a scene in the film where, and then obviously, again, this happens because I'm on set with like, it's set in a sorority, so I'm like the oldest person on set. How did that make you feel? So that was, I in a, actually, I ended up like kind of nurturing them all. Okay. I ended up being like a bar like everyone was playing younger a bit. So they weren't they weren't like teenagers, but they were all in their twenties. Right, right, right. <laughs> so like all these beautiful girls in their twenties, like but and part I felt quite tender towards them in a way. Because I was like, I remember being like this. I remember like rattling around with these thoughts and these mad things and then having a conversation with one of the girls going, oh, yeah, your mum sounds really toxic. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, because she was like, my mum tells me I'm fat all the time. Like, and I was like, you know, we were sort of talking about <laughs> stuff like that. Um, but I ended up feeling like quite, um, yeah, I tender towards them because like just remembering that time of my life. But also you are, you know, I'm a needy actress and, you know, I want to look hot and I want to look beautiful and everyone there's much skinnier than me and much younger than me and they look incredible and I'm a bit there going, <laughs> watching the edit going, why didn't they put me in shapewear? I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, I can just see back fat and this, that's one of the really difficult things of like watching yourself on screen and going that angle. Oh, yeah. That's why I don't post as much clips as I should because I always find something wrong with the way I look that makes me not post it. Well, one of the scenes that we shot in the film, and I don't want to ruin it, but <clears throat> this is where I have a fight with the sloth and um, the, the 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 scene itself is very funny and how it plays out the angle is shot from feels like a hate crime to me um, and I said as much to the director when I went to go and look on the monitor and he was like you? and I was like but what's best for the film it, it, it works mm-hmm. I have to let go of my how unhappy I feel with my face seeing it from that angle mm-hmm. because that's, you know, I'm acting, it's a part. So I just got to let that go. But, you know, that's, that's we sort of had a bit of a laugh about it. I was like, I hate the angle. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest, I really hate the angle. But if it works and you it's what you want, then it's good. 
you know, I don't. I think the performance is good. So the performance. Well, that's what matters. Has to be. Yeah. Has to be. Has to be above and beyond what I think I look. Don't you just want to be famous enough that you can choose your own angles? (laughs) Like that would be the goal. But I think those films look mad, and you've seen people who are them, and I don't think those films were ever good films or ever look good. So I think you've got to let go a bit. You have to let go your vanity a bit even people who I think are really really beautiful like Jennifer Aniston she's not a vain actress she will allow herself to be mm-hmm. you know like seen in unflattering angles or whatever you know um so I I just I think yeah um what was the point of that yes there was yeah so they were much younger so that was a little bit of like sometimes I felt like oh am I like old and am I am I a bit cringe or am I a bit mm-hmm. like you know um but yeah, I ended up, I, they, they, was, they were lovely. And That's I ended so nice. up, you know, I ended up like sort of, yeah, sort of mothering all of them a little bit. Um, so that comes out on the 12th here? Comes out on the 12th. Okay. Yeah, on, I think, Apple, Amazon Prime, Great. all of the things. Watch it. And um, yeah, so that's coming out. And hopefully there'll be a two. I'm hoping there'll be a sequel. That would be nice. I think it would be fun. That would be nice. Is there anything else you want to plug or where can people find Uh, you? Yeah, I'm doing a show. When's this coming out? Uh, Probably a week. Okay, so I'm at Leicester Comedy Festival on the 25th of Feb. Oh yeah, it'll be out by then. I'm, I'm doing my lunchtime, a show at lunchtime because I have a show, a very British problem show in the evening. Mm-hmm. And so I had to do a lunchtime show. So it's one o'clock. So I would really love people to buy tickets for that. It's called Brave New Tiffany and it's about, I think the world needs a new PR. Like Great. let's fix this up. How am I going to fix it? So, um, you know, we'll be talking about stuff like Elon Musk's plan to love terraform it. Mars and stuff <gasps> like that. Uh, so yeah, so I, I, I'm going to be doing that. Um, and we're doing a work in progress together. 20th. 20th of February. Six o'clock at Top Secret Comedy Top in Secret. Covent Garden. Yeah, we're going to do half an hour each of new stuff. Old Rope is the second Monday of the month at the Comedy Store. Um, so February, March, um, great lineups. This one coming up, we've got like three very special guests who I can't say, but worth booking for. And then Michelle will probably be doing that at some point, maybe April. I would or, love to do March that. Show. Yes. yes, I would love to do any of the ones that you will have me for. It's so, one of my favorite shows in the city. Yeah, yay. it is. <laughs> but thank you for coming on. I hope this has been fun, at least. Yes. I find it good. I enjoy talking about failures and rejection. Yes. So I'm hoping yeah. you do so. Hopefully I gave you enough failure. I gave you some self-loathing. So that it was good to see. I've never seen that side of you, to be honest. Sure. You're the one that's always sure talking that. me off the ledge. So I know it feels know. good to kind of be like, all right, I'm not the only one that hates myself. <laughs> no, I'm good for I'm good at doing that for other people. You have to mm-hmm. just do it for each other, right? Yeah. I'm good at like like I speak to other people how I should speak to myself. I say to other people. It's easier people, to do that. It's always like we don't take our own it. advice and we should, you know. Yeah, but yeah. thank you. This is Everyone Hates Tiff Stevenson and go watch Slother House on the 12th. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Everyone hates you.